0: Welcome to a breath of fresh air with Sandy Kay. Cause it's a beautiful day. Mm-hmm. A breath of fresh air. Beautiful day, oh baby, any day that you're gone away. It's a beautiful day.
1: Hi, how are you? Thanks so much for being here today. If you're new to A Breath of Fresh Air, you probably should know that this show features interviews with some of the best musical artists of the 60s, 70s, or 80s. I love tracking down these guys and having a chat, and I also really like giving you the opportunity to request someone you might like to hear from. So if you're interested, send me a message through the website. That's a abreathoffreshair.com.au and I'll do my very best to get your favourite rocker onto the program as soon as possible. Having said that, today's no exception. And I'm about to make Dave from Bay FM in Brisbane one very happy man. Dave wrote to me to see if I could find one of the members of the British group Supertramp, who were known for playing a mix of prog rock and pop rock in the 70s. The band produced several hit singles. I'm sure you remember them all very well. Songs like Dreamer, Give a Little Bit, and this one, Goodbye Stranger. Goodbye. founders Roger Hodgson and Rick Davies the band took its name from a 1908 novel called The Autobiography of a Super Tramp their golden era albums Crime of the Century and even in the quietest moments were both produced by former Beatles producer Ken Scott my guest today Supertramp saxophonist John Halliwell, provides us with further insight into one of the biggest bands of the era John, hello, thanks for joining us here on A Breath of Fresh Air.
2: Thank you. Good to talk to you. Tell us a little about yourself. I was born in a small town in the north of England. Um, I grew up there, went to a school, and then I became a computer programmer when I was 18. I was already playing music, and then after two years, I decided to do music full-time. And I played in a group in England for a while, and then all sorts of groups. It was a very fruitful scene from about... Sixty-five, set six onwards, and all sorts of people blossoming. Uh, Jimi Hendrix coming to uh, to London, uh, the Who starting, the the Rolling Stones starting, the Beatles continuing from early sixties. There was a th- very good, thriving club scene too. All sorts of people. It was good in the in the late sixties. Things changed rapidly over the years. Uh, from, you know, sort of soul music, Tamil town Motown coming through from flower power, hippie music from San Francisco and everything in a big melting pot. So it was it was a very fruitful scene. And then I joined Supertramp in 1973.
1: You were last in Australia in 1976 with Supertramp.
2: Yes, yes, our big tour. We were just on on the way up there, 76. I mean, we hit really big in 79 with our album Breakfast in America. But for some queer reason, I don't know why, we never came back. We had a, a good following.
3: Coming to you, now there's not a lot I can do. Dreamer, you still my little dreamer. So now you put your head in your hands. Oh no!
1: Whoa! How was it during those times with Supertramp?
2: Well, I joined in 73, after I joined, we just made the album Crime of the Century. So that was a kind of beginning of, of a slow climb up through the 70s of making an album and touring and making an album touring and getting more successful each time. We did very well then, it was it was our big time. I guess we hit the big time in the late 70s and early 80s, uh, but, still, but still we carried on after that as well because we thought that what we were doing was very valid.
0: Well, right, you got a bloody right to say, right? You bloody well, right, you know, you got a right to say,
3: ha, ha, you bloody well, right, you know, you're right.
1: was a really different band a really different sound at the time wasn't it
2: yes and 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 the, there was the original there was the sort of five of us and with the inclusion of, of, of myself playing saxophone and clarinet that was kind of different from the mainstream and also the fact that we had two singers songwriters and we, we had a, quite a good emphasis on piano playing as well which is more different in a group because normally groups are three guitars and and a singer and drums or whatever. But we were keyboard oriented, a little bit of guitar, saxophone. So it it was different from that respect. And then the fortunate fact of of getting a drummer from outside of the UK, from from California, and having his way of playing, and just the way that the five different people gelled together, uh, and it wasn't your usual, because your usual group is you know two guitars, a lead guitar and a bass drummer. So you know, sing, one of them sings. But so this was quite different, and so we had different material and and just a different way of playing it. Interesting, I guess, for the public.
1: It was super interesting for us. Which was one of your favourite tunes that you played on?
2: Well, I guess that perhaps one of the most famous and interesting for me, and I'm I'm proud of it, is maybe the Logical Song from Breakfast in America, and I play the alto saxophone on that. It was a big hit and it's one of my most well-known solos.
1: Player. joining a band like that I guess in your wildest dreams you couldn't have ever imagined the success and what the road of fame and fortune would look like how did that feel well
2: no yes when I joined we, we knew we had something good together and and so we made this album crime of the century that Trump had already made two albums before that with the differing personnel but this was the the, the five of us uh, that stuck together for at least ten years, and we, we thought we had something good, and we 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 uh, we just kind of tried to promote that, and that was all starting with the album Crime of the Century, and so when we started touring, we just did more or less Crime of the Century as a sort of project, and then it kind of blossomed f- from there, and we we knew we had something good, and and we just kind of w- worked on it, and we also had a really good live performance. So that that endeared us to the public. If, if a few people came to see us on the first tour, then a lot more on the second and more on the third, etc.
1: My memory serves me well. I believe it was you that was out front doing the jokes and the emceeing, although as a, as a sax player you weren't the front man, you were certainly the front man to G up the audience, yeah?
2: Yeah, and that's really because uh, the others didn't want to do it still, so, you know. What we did when we first started touring in earnest after Crime of the Century, it was a rather serious album and uh, we, we used to just play the, the first side, you know, it was an LP we used to play the first side and then we would just use some other numbers. And we just kind of collectively thought that we needed to talk to the audience because it, it was a bit somber. You know, we needed a little bit of light relief, but the others didn't want to talk to the audience. Anyway, so I said, oh, OK, I'll do it. So I don't I mean, I'm not a professional entertainer as such, but I just kind of say what comes into my head. That's it. So it could be different every night.
1: Why didn't they want to talk to the audience? They were too shy. They were too serious
2: musicians. What, what was it? No, they're just too shy. That's it. Yeah. Just too reticent, shall we say. Yeah.
1: Really? And yet they could get up there and stand in front of crowds of thousands and thousands of people, but they found it difficult to address
2: them. Exactly, yeah, they could play the music in front of them but uh, they didn't really want to talk.
1: <laughs> uh, that, that's quite amazing. You, you never kind of think that uh, the people standing in front of you in a show playing the music for you are really quite quiet and shy.
2: Yes, yes. They did eventually just a little bit but it, it was generally left for me to say bonsoir Paris or wherever we were, you know, or good day if we were down in Melbourne. It's it's an interesting juxtaposition of of being a musician and being whatever your personality is but while you're up there playing maybe it's okay but if if you have to talk maybe you just kind of clam up a bit
1: isn't that interesting john you said that crime of the century and the other albums that super tramp had made have been quite serious pieces of music at, at the time but then i think you turned it a little bit towards more pop songs didn't you
2: well, it was just it was just the way that the songwriting and 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 that we uh, approached music because we were all living in uh, we were living in England. There was an American drummer, but we are living in England and we made Crime of the Century, and then after that we 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 went and lived in the States, and it sort of ha- it had an effect on us, and we we made. Uh, two albums before Breakfast in America but it was Breakfast in America in 78 or 9 was a reflection on our having lived there
1: in America reached number one on the Billboard charts and was certified Platinum four times. Next up, John Helliwell tells us what led to the new sound and how it changed their lives.
0: This is a breath of fresh air with Sandy Kay. It's a
1: beautiful day. Thanks for hanging in. Supertramp's switch to a more pop-oriented approach really peaked with their most popular album, Breakfast in America, in 1979. For the last couple of months of work on this album, the story goes that Roger Hodgson actually parked a camper van outside the studio so that he could work round the clock on the tracks without being disturbed. Roger lived and breathed this album. He had a hunch it was going to be a big success and he couldn't have been more right, could he?
2: We blossomed a bit, and it was just the way the tunes were written. It wasn't anything particularly perceived as such. I, I, I guess Crime of the Century was perceived as, as a sort of concept album, but, and the others, the other albums subsequent to that were more just collection of songs. But it was just how the songwriting was going and how our lives were moving along and turning, just how they came out. So it was just the fact that Breakfast in America seemed to be a, more a collection of popular pop songs it was just just fate really
0: all right here we go again. I'll go and i'll give a little bit give a little bit give a little bit of my love to you there's so much that we
2: matter to you what the music was? No, but you can imagine that throughout that time of going through the 70s, maybe over a period of quite a few years, in fact, we were playing all these songs to ourselves all the time anyway, if they weren't even recorded. So they were just part of the the Supertramp sound that that we were all into and playing. And then we'd pick certain ones for certain albums. So it was just, just the way we reacted together. And another interesting thing, an interesting thing was, was on several numbers, was the inclusion of a clarinet. My playing clarinet on Breakfast in America, for example, that track and, and others, that that was really unusual for a rock setting. So it just made us different.
1: Only Jethro Tull was doing similar at the time, yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, they did. They, they worked with a flute, didn't they? Yeah. With Ian Anderson played flute. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Nobody else really had any wind instruments.
2: No, there was the, sometimes there was a saxophone in in a band, you know, that came right through from the birth of rock and roll with Bill Haley, for example, you know, he had a saxophonist in his band and guitar, but but the more usual rock groups through the 60s, 50s, 60s, 70s were guitar based and drums, guitar and drums, yeah. So we, we kind of expanded that and we had our own scene and we were our own little niche, musical niche, and so we were happy to pursue that.
1: So were you pretty chuffed with the success that the that the music that the five of you were making was getting?
2: Yes, we, we were, and we worked really hard on it because we worked hard on trying to make an album of, of good songs and, and produce well, and, and at the same time we went out on the road and we tried to reproduce that kind of hi-fi thing that we had. Uh, we had this hi-fi reputation and uh, we... We uh, we like to produce it live. So going to see a concert with Supertramp in the 70s and, and 80s, for example, was supposedly like going to a giant and listening to a giant hi-fi with the guys there as well playing.
1: I, I recall that, although I did not know that that was what you were going for at the time. Yes. Home from the Breakfast in America album, which reached number four in Canada and number ten in the US. For some reason, it was never released in the UK. Played on Pink Floyd's album A Momentary Lapse of Reason, didn't you?
2: Yes, I did, and they spelt my name wrong, but I'll forgive him. I'll, for- I'll forgive him for that.
1: I read that.
2: Just prior to that, we were making an album called Brother Where You Bound, the Supertramp album, and we, were, we had this big track, the title track, and we thought, we arranged it, and we, we were all sitting around talking to each other, and saying, who should we get for the guitar, to do a guitar solo? And somebody said, well, it should be like a sort of Pink Floyd type guitar solo. So I think it was me that said, you mean David Gilmour? Uh, yeah, David Gilmour type cigar, guitar solo. So I said, well, why don't we get David Gilmour to do a David Gilmour type guitar solo? Oh yeah, yes. And so we called him, and he did. He came, and just a few months later, he asked me if I'd play some stuff on on his album. That's how that worked.
3: Oh, yeah.
1: that experience like
2: oh that was that was easy it was just it was just a couple of hours in in the studio one night just playing to some stuff just run it by me and just play just improvising yeah that it was, it was easy and another thing not only did they not spell my name correctly they never paid me for the session i've never never got a penny from that record
1: and what brought super tramp to an end as a band
2: well uh, yeah, there's a specific thing that it brought it to an Super Supertramp, if you just need a little bit of history, it was started by Rick Davis in 1969, and he got, uh, amongst the first people in the group that he got, uh, it included Roger Hodgson. And so Rick Davis and Roger Hodgson be- became eventually the two songwriters, and that lasted up through the 70s and, and early 80s. And in 83, Roger Hodgson decided that he was going to leave. So he left after our tour in 83. And we carried on with the other four of us, led by Rick. And so we did Rick's numbers. Was
0: it was an early morning yesterday
2: I was up before the dawn
0: And I really have enjoyed my stay But I must be moving on a king without a castle, like a queen without a throne, I'm a doly morning lover and I must be moving on, Now I
3: believe in what you say, is the undisputed
0: truth, but I have to have this
2: various incarnations of the band through the 80s. And then we had a little time off. I came back to England to uh, study music. Uh, I knew that um, that Supertram wasn't going to be working for a, a year or two, a few years maybe. And I decided that I would like to uh, get better at playing the saxophone and music in general. So I decided to go to the Royal Northern College of Music in Manchester and I, and I studied the saxophone there. Yes, there was a lot to learn. I'd been in the rock business for, for a long time, but there I learnt to read music better, play in a big band, a jazz, a jazz big band, and then also play contemporary classical music in various ensembles, and um, I really enjoyed it, and it was, it was good for me to, to learn more. When I went there, I was, um, I was 49 or 48, and most of the pupils were 18. <laughs> so I was a lot older
1: <laughs> I love it
2: And then we got going back in the, uh, in the lat- latter 90s And into the 2000s And then had a bit more time off And then we we, we continued to tour occasionally 2010, eleven, And then we had a really big tour organised for 2015 With Rick Davis and me And, and Bob Stevenberg, the drummer, and others uh, Still Supertramp, carrying on But Rick... Uh, developed um, a condition called multiple myeloma oh. which is a, not a, a nice thing to catch and so he had to kind of the tour was cancelled he had to fight that and, and he's still in, in remission from that he's, he's, he's fine now but I, I believe that you get a bit weaker when you finish with that and you've got to keep carry on with your life so it doesn't look like is Rick want, would be able to tour again
1: There's still a possibility.
2: There's a slim possibility, yeah, but we don't know.
1: Do you miss life on the road? Yes. You're still out on the road yourself when you can anyway, aren't you?
2: Yes, I do. The thing is, um, uh, aside from Supertramp in the last 10 Fifteen years. I've had my own group for uh, playing, and I've also played with other people in Europe. People doing tours, and people doing all-star bands or whatever. So I've had, I quite like that variety, and I like I like the challenge of just coming in and playing with someone else and and doing stuff. And I did a few sessions, and I've had at the moment. I've had, so far I've had two solo projects, which have developed into CDs. So uh, I'm quite happy doing my own stuff as well.
1: This latest album that you have out sounds great. It's called Ever Open Door. Tell me a little bit about uh, how that's come about for you.
2: Well, this is an album, uh, it's my second kind of solo album. I did have one called Creme Anglaise, which that's a kind of tongue-in-cheek reference to the cream of English players that I was playing with, Creme Anglaise. But this, this one is Ever Open Door. It's a project that I envisage playing ballads and it's with a string quartet and Hammond organ. That's it. No, no drums or bass or anything. So it's it's a it's a quiet album of ballads, on which I play um, saxophone and clarinet. And I decided that um, I would, uh, when I was collating the tunes to play, that I would perhaps try and do a couple of Supertramp tunes. And so I picked one tune that Rick Davis wrote, and that's Ever Open Door. Mm. Roger Roll, which is um
1: if everyone was listening yeah
2: yes yeah. and then i thought that the the title of ricks was appropriate for the title of of the album so i use that as, as a sort of uh, it's like a suggestion of how my mind works when it's listening to to music because i'm quite open about listening to various things i like classical and i like r&b and i like pop and i like rock and i like jazz and all sorts so thats the latest one is, is, uh, is an album of balance.
1: If everyone was listening from John Hellowell's second solo album ever Open Door, John also fronts the Super Big Tramp band which has a jazz big band lineup of trumpets, trombones, saxophone and rhythm section. The band plays versions of super Tramp tunes. Hallwell is the chief soloist. Stay tuned. Up next, John Heliwell walks us through some of his other solo work.
0: This is A Breath of Fresh Air with Sandy Kay. It's
1: a beautiful day. Great to have you still here with me. I hope you're enjoying the story of Supertramp as told by saxophonist John Helliwell, who joined founders and songwriters Roger Hodgson and Rick Davies in 1973. John has been telling us about his solo work, in particular the album of ballads he did recently to coincide with his 75th birthday. That album, Ever Open Door, is a collection of tunes that really allows us to relax and empty our minds of day-to-day matters. We've already chatted about a couple of the tracks on it, but there's another one called Lord Stackhouse. I asked John to explain.
2: Well, in 1995, yeah, I moved house. The house was called Stack House, and it was on Stackhouse Lane and it was in Stackhouse. All those three kept together, and, and at that time, which was um, late 90s, I was looking for uh, an email address, and so I put in Helliwell and also and and lots of gone. You know what I mean? And then I thought, oh, Stackhouse. Let's put. So I put Stackhouse and John Stackhouse or Mr. Stackhouse or whatever. they would all gone. And then I, I, I suddenly thought to myself, Lord Stackhouse. That sounds intriguing. So I tried it. You know, when you have to go in and you try to find the, the site that you can use the, the, the for the handle for, for your email,
1: uh-huh.
2: it came up. You can have it. So I, I grabbed it. So I grabbed Lord Stackhouse, and so I became on the email at least Lord Stackhouse in '96 or 7, I went out to California to work with Roger Hodgson on a solo project he had, and we had to do some incognito gigs. Before we did the real gig that was going to be recorded, so we just wanted to be have an assumed name. And the guitarist said, "Why don't we call ourselves Lord Stackhouse and the Bulging Trousers?" So I said, "Yeah, that sounds good." So I, I became Lord Stackhouse.
1: People refer to you as that.
2: Yeah, and and then I started working with a gentleman who, uh, when I went to college, at the Royal Northern College of Music in Manchester in the early. And to mid 90s I met this uh, saxophone player who turns out to be an arranger and composer and he arranged all the the pieces on this album and he had a saxophone group which I played in and he wrote me a number uh, and he, he called that number Lord Stackhouse it's a ballad and so I, I decided that I would play that number on my album as well so
1: hence the track Lord's Stackhouse well we'll have a listen to that now
2: Stackhouse, you know, on, on, uh, uh, not exactly Lord Stackhouse on Facebook, but it's just one of my nom de plumes. You mentioned Roger. Um, How's he doing? Well, he's doing all right. And in the last few years, he's come out and and started playing a lot around, especially in Europe and North America. He mostly plays his old hits when he goes out, but he has his own group. But in actual fact, he left Supertramp at the end of 1983, so he's been left quite a long time.
1: founded Supertramp in 1969 and was the driving force behind what fans have often referred to as the 14 golden years of the band. Roger wrote, sang and arranged most of the enduring rock standards that made Supertramp a worldwide phenomenon, with album sales in excess of 60 million. Roger not only gave us the one we just heard, Child of Vision, but also other timeless classics like Give a Little Bit. Breakfast in America, Dreamer, The Logical Song, and Take the Long Way Home. I'm chatting with John Halliwell from Supertramp. You've just put out your third solo album now, John, right?
2: Yes, exactly. And um, I'm just kind of enjoying myself at the moment in in semi-retirement, which was really accelerated by the COVID situation. Of course. So one or two of my projects have been delayed but I uh, managed to get uh, one out recently with some Dutchmen men playing, playing a jazz quartet format.
1: Tell me a little bit about it.
2: Well, I'm, I'm very proud of it. Uh, I, I found this tune um, called Don't Ever Leave Me, which is a, a short, beautiful melody. So because we envisaged making this album on vinyl, which it is, it's come out on the vinyl, but it's also out on the CD we decided to play this short tune four times so that on each side of the vinyl, it would start with that tune and finish with that tune. So that's why there's four versions of Don't Ever Leave Me.
1: Another instrumental album isn't it was it about that tune that you were so enamored with
2: I just love the tune it's very nice I first heard it by the uh, the jazz pianist Keith Jarrett and uh, just loved it and so the thing is I just really like a good melody and and on this on on this CD there's several really really nice tunes that I found
1: instrumental albums traditionally don't sell very well do they
2: well perhaps not yeah but I, I don't really make this music to sell. I make this music because I want to just make some music. It's not going to be a, a big breakfast in America, is it?
1: I guess not. So you're really doing it for your own pleasure more than anything else?
2: Well, yes. This one features three super superchamp tunes.
1: Why is that?
2: I just like the tunes. And I thought, oh, I'll do a different version of, of the tunes because... Uh, it's been a big part of my life, all, all these, these super drum tunes.
1: They're done in a jazzy sort of way, aren't they?
2: Yes, yeah, because there's, there's the four of us playing drums, bass, piano, saxophone. And yes, my, my original uh, inspiration to start playing an instrument was uh, the clarinet was jazz. And I sort of started with jazz and then kind of morphed into pop in a way, R&B and all sorts. Yeah. I'll play anything really. I do a few sessions whatever takes my fancy. But I do like a good tune. Yeah, it's what you can find on this on this album. So
1: you've really come full circle, haven't you?
2: Yes. I don't know where I'll, where I can go now. Perhaps around the circle again.
1: <laughs> you must be very proud of yourself for all your achievements to date and to have reached a place in your life now where you can be making the music that you want to make just for the sheer enjoyment of it.
2: Well, that's true. Yeah, that's it's a nice thing, and I should be able to go out and do some gigs. Do you miss touring? I do a little bit normally, but yeah, I, I enjoy. In fact, in two thousand and nineteen, yeah, I I was almost away almost every other week touring and playing with people in Europe and doing stuff. So I'm, I'm quite happy to play still. I'm hoping to do some gigs with this quartet, and also with my big band.
1: Tell me a little bit about it.
2: Well, the big band album is finished, and we're waiting at the moment, we're waiting for permission from the publishers of all the songs, because every song is written by Rick Davis, Roger Hodgson, and so we're waiting for for permission from them to release it. It's a strange situation, but the music's good.
1: John Hallowell, do you still speak to Rick and, and to Roger at all?
2: Well, occasionally, although Roger's kind of disappeared Whenever you try and get hold of him, you can only get through to his erstwhile manager. Uh, he's, he's sort of he's cut himself off from, well, I don't know whether it's from civilization or just me.
1: <laughs> Any chance you could reunite with him and, and do a Super Tramp tour?
2: There's always a chance. Yeah, it would depend on whether he wants to, whether Rick's well enough. I'd be up for it. I'm happy about it, I'd be happy doing it because I love to play right now you're talking to the to the guy in the band that's the easiest just to say yes i say yes now
1: we have you playing your own version of Supertramp songs with the indelible John Hallowell stamp on it and we also have Roger out there playing Supertramp stuff with his own style too, don't we? Yes. Of all the Supertramp songs that there are, John Hallowell, and there are so many, do you have one absolute favourite?
2: Well, I have to say too. then. If there's one that stands out above any other... For every or any reason that would be crime of the century why just because it's it's emotional to me it was the end of the first album that I was on it, we finished every show with it it's, it means a lot to me
0: Jerry
1: those days playing those massive stadiums and arenas?
2: Not particularly, but I do look back on it with, with a lot of pleasure.
1: Very lucky to have had the breaks that you did when you got them and to have been able to experience that, weren't you?
2: Yes, yeah, it was it was a, combina- a good combination of the f- five different talents of the people in the band coming together and making making something more than the sum of those five. Uh, and then getting the breaks and really working hard. That was a, we, we did put a lot of work into it to, to sound good.
1: And you sure did that. When you look back on it now, would you do it all the same way again? Are there any regrets or anything that you would change?
2: No regrets from me. No. It would have been nice to maybe work more, but that's the super was a product of five different people, so we have to take all five into consideration. If it had just been me on my own, I probably would have worked more for some reason. But uh, that's that's all right. I just like playing.
1: (laughs) John, thank you so much for chatting with me again. You're welcome. Supertramp's John Halliwell. I don't think there are too many questions left unanswered. Thanks a lot again, Dave, from Bay FM in Brisbane here in Australia for asking me to find one of the members of Supertramp for you. That's all we've got time for today. If you'd like to catch up with some back episodes of A Breath of Fresh Air, all you have to do is hit follow on any of the major podcast platforms. I'd love it if you did check them out and let me know what you think. Take care, won't you, until we meet again. I'll look forward to being back in your company again same time next week. I'll see you then. Bye now. Because it's a beautiful day here.
0: Been listening to A Breath of Fresh Air with Sandy Kay. Beautiful day. Oh, baby, any day that you're gone away. It's a beautiful day.